This week's episode is brought to you by Grigorenko's, the breakfast cereal of choice for random preseason pre scoring champs. Sackett fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackett! Wow! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph Alshun, locked into the Mile High Hockey Podcast for October 10th, 2016. Coming up on the show, we review the preseason action, look back on the final Frozen Fury, get some eyes on camp and practice, and set our sights on opening night. But before we the whoosh, meet your disembodied voices of the week. Joining me today, of course, is Arlo Six. Hey, Earl. Good afternoon. And special guest today, Dario. Welcome back. It's been a minute. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be back. Glad to have you on today with the uh, none of us being able to make it to camp thing. So cool to have you here. So let's uh, let's run it down. Avs win six times over various preseason opponents, securing the preseason Stanley Cup 2016. They allegedly beat the Wild two to nothing in the Stars, one to nothing in non-televised affairs uh, before the last Frozen Fury ever on Saturday, which was a moderately televised affair. Avs win in overtime 2-1 on the back of yet another tally from Mikhail Grigorenko, who I certainly hope is saving some for the real season, and Gabe Landeskog in overtime around a completely turnstiled Drew Doughty and a totally baffled Jonathan Quick. When that goal happened, I just laughed. What did you guys do? That oh, was an unbelievable goal from Landeskog. Yeah, he was... It was uh, I, I liked his story afterwards that... Um, he was yelling at McKinnon, and then uh, Barry was yelling at him, and um, that all just tells me that those guys are communi communicating a lot on the ice, which is just how the best hockey is played, as guys are telling each other where they are. Um, I think Landeskog said that he yelled for the puck from McKinnon, and once he got it, he heard um, Tyson yelling at the back door for the puck, but he held it for a little while, and he said, you know, Tyson acted as a, as a um, kind of a distraction. Yeah. And of course, he uh, deked around both those guys and put it and in that the was a, That was a pretty key part of that play, the way he kind of drew the defense by skating across the middle like that. Yeah, as far as, you know, of all the Avalanche players, you know, he has some of the best patience when it comes to that, 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 scoring opportunity right in front of the net he always has that half a heartbeat pause and he usually makes really good decisions and we saw um at worlds we saw nathan mckinnon do a similar thing when he had like a wide like i don't remember who this was against it might have been the russians no it was it was against uh sweden because it was against lungfist because he was that was the overtime winner against sweden is what it was because he, he was alone in front and a lot of guys would just be like, I'm one-on-one -on -one with the goalie and try to score from there. But he made a couple of extra moves and got around before having an open net to put it in. And that's sort of um, sort of similar to what Landeskog did, although he was obviously in a different, slightly different situation. But yeah, I don't think that Tyson Berry was intentionally being a, uh, a decoy. I think that Landeskog used him that way. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh yeah, I'm sure Tyson that. wanted it. Yeah. No, I, I, but I, yeah, you're right. In both cases, um, they were trying to to draw the poke check from the goalie, and that just, I mean, it, it's easy after that if, as long as you hold on to the puck. 
But before that, we saw um, Colorado's power play not do much of anything. Um, we saw about half of the third period go by while trailing without Colorado registering a shot on goal. Um, so wasn't all great. No. Um, that I, I I don't I didn't look at that the same way I usually looked at the third periods where they were just kind of out of it and not generating chances last year. Um, they're, they were playing a good game. They just, I, I, I don't know why they don't shoot. I, I'm sure Bednar is drilling it into them. Look, you, you have to shoot, you know, don't hold on to the puck, shoot it, uh, especially on the power play. So I think that's just something they're going to have to get deprogrammed about. Yeah, it's a little bit concerning only just because they worked on it during pra- all of uh, last week with their practice sessions. Bednar commented that they'd done a lot of practice on the power play. And, you know, they got a four-minute power play. And I don't know how many they had last night. What, six? They had... Five or six? They, have, like they had ten minutes, I think. Yeah, so um, I, I like the umbrella system and how they're they're rotating the puck and they're not using that middleman as just a happy catch, pass back and forth type thing like they did under Waugh or Army. I don't know who actually um, drew it up, but, you know, I liked the angles they were working, but we didn't see any point shots, which was a little unusual. Um, I mean, heck, that's how Beagle kept scoring in um, the preseason with his shot, and that's how he scored in the rookie tournament with his shot on that power play. So yeah, I, I the, the the yeah you're right. The concern with the power play on shots is a legitimate one. They just need when and one thing you have to give credit to is that Quick was really good last night, and the Kings are one of the best teams in the in the entire league when it comes to their PK and uh, and their defensive zone coverage. So um, they're tough to play against. Period. Uh, they don't freewheel. They keep everything real tight. They cut down angles, and they're really good on the PK. Um, but yeah, they need to shoot more. I would like to see that shot come from the point. Uh, if they had Jelena, or they would let, uh, or if uh, EJ would release on some of those shots, I think they would um, start to open up the some of the. But playing some work. Yeah, and I don't, if I remember right, Jelena didn't draw in for Frozen Fury, um, but. I'm still not used to the to to numbers. I'm not. Used, I forgot what number uh, Zadorov was, for example. I'm just like still a little out of out of things a little bit, trying to figure out which Bork is which and where Ben Smith is and all this stuff. Um, Los Angeles was doing was they really were good at limiting east-west passes. Um, Boy, you're broken up. You were for a second too. Maybe a Skype. Um, awesome. But they, the Kings were really good at stopping passes going from one side of the ice to the other, you know, across the, the Royal Road, as they call it. Um, and, and I think that's a key to getting good shots, like, you know, the, the B-Grow goal we saw a few games ago and things like that. It comes from a, a shot, right, kind of a one-timer off a long pass from the other side of the ice. That's a great way, you know, that's the, the Nick Holden shot if you want it. Um, but the Avs weren't getting those last night, and, it, it, you know, it basically stopped up all effectiveness on the PP. 
I just wish they would have shot something before yeah. there was like five seconds left, and they're going, "Well, we got to do something here." Because that's yeah, they had a little like. trouble. They had a little trouble gaining the zone, but once they gained it and they went into their rotation, um, you could see what they were trying to do, and it's and that umbrella system with the power play, I think, is going to be effective. The Kings are really, really good. Uh, Quick didn't have to make any remarkable saves, but they kept trying to do something low at the goal line and trying to cross over across what Earl calls the, the Royal Road. And they're trying to basically get on the other side of the ice, and the Kings just weren't having any of it. They were all collapsing down into the house. And if that happens, you know, traditionally you start to try to shoot from the point, to try to stretch out those guys to block shots and go after rebounds. But they didn't make that adjustment. It's still early. It's still preseason. Um, you know, mid-power play adjustments, that's a pretty sophisticated thing to get going for your players just on the ice in that two minutes. So... I think it'll improve. Certainly hope so. Um, and we're, we're going to get into uh, changes and new stuff later on, but one thing I was very happy to notice was um, at one point the uh, Avalanche were getting four-checked pretty hard. It was um, Eric Johnson and uh, whoever he was paired with. Big Z. Is that who it was? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not convinced that that's who was on the ice at the time. They may have had a busted change or something. He had a couple of shifts with Tootin. Um, but they were kind of like both defensemen were sort of pinned below the goal line by a forecheck, and you could see two forwards in the picture at the same time, like actually supporting their guys against a forecheck, and that was such a breath of fresh air for me. I know it's incredible to see that. Um... You know, it, it's just, it's so refreshing to see people staying in the zone, not flying it, you know, staying with the support. Um, we saw a lot last night of the, the five-man unit going up the ice and, and, you know, using strategies like that to, to break out. And, you know, it's night and day from last year. Yeah, well, not only that is the, the, the five-man play is they're not giving anyone any time and space once they do, if they lose control of the puck, whether it's the forecheck or in their own end. No one gets to survey the ice, and uh, that's a huge change from last year. They're, put, they're playing really aggressive. They have the athletes to do it. I think it's a really smart, smart, uh, smart strategy for uh, this uh, team of players to take. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. You could uh, see... Especially, you talk about the Royal Road. When Earl and I are talking about the Royal Road, basically you go from one goal to the other goal and you, and, you, and you draw a line right down the middle of the ice. That's the Royal Road. It's basically splitting the ice in half. And when the puck is in one side of our own D zone, you can see all five players are almost across the entire Royal Road. They're all on that side of the ice in a tight support group. And it makes you a little bit nervous because that far side D is wide but the puck would have to go through like four players yeah. and these nhl players can slap a puck out of midair going 25 miles an hour let alone a clean pass on the ice and handling that and so it's really smart they basically almost go uh, uh five on four with that strategy and uh it's been really effective it's making zadarov look incredible yeah no, I really like that because the the weak side wing last year was just so useless because he was sort of covering the point, sort of being on the weak side boards, but not really doing anything. So it 
you know, it, it really made it an outnumbered situation for the offense and made it very difficult for puck recapture or whatever you want. Um, but having that weak side wing involved with the play now, um, you know, it, it just makes it a lot easier to be aggressive on the puck, let's say. And oh, I, yeah. And I think uh, there are still some wingers that are still adjusting. Um that they haven't broken bad habits to get into the new Bednar habit. I think Duchesne had talked about that. He says it's even different than what Babcock was running yeah. and the teams he's been on with him. As you can see, Coburn was still really wide. Not really wide. He was probably, he's probably closer than he was comfortable being, but he was a lot wider than the other wingers. And then he comes from the Hartley school of thought, which is the Wah school of thought. And, you know that that stretch breakout on the wing. So I think they're still they're still learning and they're still trying to get the system down. Speaking of Colborn, um, that's the first opportunity that I've had to lay eyes on him in an Avalanche sweater, um, and uh, the same for Earl as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so what what are we seeing from Colborn and from some of the other new and marginal guys last night, like Vogel Huber, Ben Smith? Bork, Bork. Oh, Colborn hasn't impressed me yet. Um, he's he's not up to speed with everybody else, and I'm not sure why, because I never really watched him much in Calgary, to be honest, so I don't know his style very well. But he just looks like you know he's having a little more trouble than the other guys hanging on to the system so far. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I, I think he can. I, I think he can come up to speed on it. He's not a fast guy, but I think he can play in this system. I don't expect Colborn to ever be a guy who impresses anybody. <laughs> uh, his his uh, his contributions aren't things that you necessarily notice because they're a lot more subtle. I mean, he's got he's one who's got decent underlying stats without anybody ever really noticing what he does. <laughs> like he's he's the guy who's going to be solid for you without making the anything like a Nathan McKinnon split the defense and then just unfortunately miss the net kind of play. Yeah, I guess yeah. the downside with that is that I think maybe, you know, I, I know I was thinking that he might have a shot at being sort of top six-ish, and I'm not sure that's on the table anymore, at least right now. He certainly looks like he's slow, but a lot of that has to do with his. He has like giraffe-like legs. It just yeah. takes his stride is just really yeah. I mean, long he's the and guy on the team, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's really he, he his first three steps aren't aren't impressive, but he, he he does have pretty high sustained speed. I like last night his uh, his effort um, defensively and getting back. That's probably a lot of Hartley old school. Um, in him that he's still bringing, he gets back to his own zone really hard, and he was blocking some shots last night. He blocked a, a shot, I think, off his hand or his leg last night that stung him pretty good, and he gets he he uh, he commits to the D zone really well. Um, he's not he's not a playmaker. He's not going to hold the putt. He's like a, a Jamie McGinn kind of player that isn't going to create his own chance. So if he's not going to create his own chance and he isn't an assist guy, then he needs to go to the net in the offensive zone. And so far, I haven't seen him do a lot of that. He's done a lot of board work, which he's not great at. 
uh, even though he has a big body, his he's basically, if you see his scoring opportunities in Calgary and everything he did in Calgary that was positive, most of it was just in front of the net, going into the slot. And um, that's kind of where he needs to beeline. He's just not used to it yet. So what do you see as a role for him? Is he, is he going to be, you know, sort of a tweener, top six, top nine guy, or is he going to be just a solid bottom six guy? So right now he's a solid bottom six, probably a top six injury call-up kind of guy. But he needs to know his role, and hopefully the coaches can help him diagnose that, is that, you know, you're not going to um, – they're not going to have a lot of assists in this league in the NHL. It's just not in a school set. He just needs to use his big body to go in front. And hey, every team needs, and you know, every team needs someone to get the garbage goals. He needs to be the pigeon on the avalanche that goes and feeds off garbage and sits in front of the net and makes life difficult. If he doesn't like that, he better learn to like it. Otherwise, he's going to be doing, you know, um, Andreas Martinson kind of stuff. He's just going to be. Um, um, you know, third, fourth line role stuff. Yeah. I mean, I hope he develops into that because that's a, a, a great kind of person to have. If he can put in those goals from, you know, two or three feet away. Um, I mean, the the rampage just played their two preseason games. AJ Greer had three goals and basically everyone was saying that of the three goals, they probably totaled four and a half feet away from <laughs> the goal. total. Right. You know, <clears throat> And it's 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 amazing the kind of difference that can make. It, it's you know when you don't have someone that can do that, it really limits a lot of what you get as far as chances. Right. Every team needs that, especially when it comes down to um, to uh, the playoffs. You start to see those players like your Bacchus and your uh, and your your I don't want to call them pluggers, but the guys that just go to the net and they just start. Um, jamming for rebounds and they start to make life difficult there. Those guys really excel in that tighter checking uh, time of the year. Yeah, Jamming is the word I was going to use too. I was going to say your jam guys. Right. Yeah. You know, Andrew Burnett was a perfect guy for that. Not, gr- not, not great speed at all. Might have been the slowest guy in the league, but you know, he's really good right in front of the net. Exactly. Yeah, we'll see if, we'll see if he, you know, some guys, you know, some guys, uh, think they're Gretzky and they can never get away from that kind of play and um, and after a while in the league you have to know what you're good at and try to get great at it and hopefully uh, the coaches put them in that direction. We'll see. Yeah, I mean it's very early still. So um, what do we notice last night from some of these more marginal guys like both of our PTO Borks or from Vogelhuber who I personally only noticed when Setaguchi made him bleed his own blood? Um, ben Smith. Uh, last night, I think the most visible was probably Ben Smith. He was he was near the play a lot. He was uh, really good on the forecheck. He didn't create a lot. He's not the most um, dynamic uh, uh, creator when it comes to passing or shooting. Um, my observations on Vogelhuber, I think that's how you pronounce his name, is uh, I didn't see him a lot. Uh, when I did see him, I, he looks uh, pretty impressive to me, but he didn't get a lot of ice time, so that makes me believe that they're getting ready to send him back down. Um, the Borks, um, the thing I've noticed, and I've watched a lot of Rene Bork, is he looks really good in the first period, <laughs> and he starts to fade. Yeah. And that's pretty concerning for someone that's 34 years old, because not only do... 
34-year-olds um, fade uh, from period to period. They fade from game 1 to 40 and not even considering game 40 to 82. And that, we've seen that with, um, with Aginla. And Aginla and Camp looked really good. I mean, he looked awesome because he's fresh off his off-season training. He's strong. You know, he's got tons of energy. Nothing's broken down, although I guess he's injured now. Um, and I'd be really concerned about giving Rene Bork a contract. I think he'll just be sent down to the AHL, and we want our young guys to play in the AHL. I know some people say, hey, it's no harm, no foul if you sign these contracts because we only have 44 or something. Um, but, you know, I still think that that ice time is valuable. Um, as far as Gabriel Bork, he, um, if we had to sign a PTO, he'd be the guy I'd want to want to sign, um, just for depth, just for depth. I don't know if he'd necessarily get any playing time, except for being maybe the 13th forward kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I, no, no one's super impressive. No, like Jack Skilly from last year that just kind of jumped off the page and like, wow, we got to get that guy on a contract. Yeah, I don't think I remember seeing Gabriel Bork on the ice more than twice. So, I mean, if, if he was out there, he wasn't getting my attention at all. Yeah, he was fourth line. He didn't get a lot of minutes. Um, but I agree that I would rather sign Gabriel than Rene. Um, I, I agree with everything you said about Rene. I think he's, you know, he might look good for 10 games, maybe 20 games. But I, I, I just don't see him keeping that energy level for the whole season. And, you know, if, he, if he's not that energy guy, I don't see a place for him on the team really i mean last night he was he was on max wing and you know i i guess he's probably a placeholder for iggy um but i just you know i, I don't like the idea of signing him because you know if that's gone you don't want to send him to the ahl there's nothing good that's going to happen out of that um i don't know it's it's a concerning thing they'll probably sign him anyway let's just you know what the really incredible thing is, and <clears throat> is if they sign the PTO guys, at least I believe that there's really no place, especially if Rantanen gets healthy, there's really no place I see in like the top nine for those guys to play. So they're just fourth liners, and Bednar has been putting them on like both of uh, McKinnon's wings, or playing them with Duchesne. Yeah. I mean, they're playing them with top level guys to feed them um, instead of putting them with like competition that they would, you would think that they would play with uh, and seeing if they could elevate um, the line. So, I mean, I think they're almost artificially, th their games look like they're almost artificially better because they're, they're getting minutes with really high-quality high players. Yeah, I mean, Bork had four points in his first couple of games and everyone's like, oh, look at this, look what we found. And it's just that's never going to happen in a regular season game. So, I mean, you really need to look at what he's doing when he doesn't have the puck and when he's not, you know, getting sweet passes from McKinnon and things like that. And um, From what I saw last night, he's just not that strong off the puck. So I, I think Ben Smith, who's already signed, can do what you need out of that role. Um, I wouldn't mind signing Gabriel to just, you know, maybe play a little in the AHL, maybe be the 13th or 14th guy as a forward. Um, but I just, I don't want to see too many guys clogging that up. I'd like to see Comfort up by the end of the year. I mean, you know, maybe AJ Greer. I mean, there's 
there's guys in the AHL now that, that you know, are legitimate shots to do something at the NHL level or that you'd want to look at. Yeah, and if you want a fourth-line PK specialist, I think Sam Henley also has a nice shot at yeah, getting exactly. a call-up at some point. Even Julian Nantel, I mean, yeah, I could see him by the end of the year. I mean, his speed and all that. I, I mean, there, there's, it, it's a whole different regime down in San Antonio now that they've they've cleaned house. So they've they've got to look at that as a resource more than a, a place to stow garbage. <laughs> well, that's one of the things I noticed at camp is they're they're. Um... The AHL guys certainly didn't seem like a uh, <clears throat> second citizens anymore. They they would certainly were um, part of the process. Uh, they were up t- rubbing elbows with a lot of the big guys. Um, they were uh, they seemed to be involved more. Dean seemed to just be like, um, you take care of the rookies, and when you're done, um, go back to San Antonio, kind of kind of coach. And uh, uh, Veilu Veilu is the name. Veyu is the coach. Uh, man, he is a firecracker out there, man. He is stern. He's got a little Napoleon complex in him. He's a really <laughs> short guy. Uh, and he was just barking orders and uh, te- even teaching defensemen you know, a C-cut, which is something you learn at a basic level of hockey when you're a kid. Um, but you also learn how to cheat with your power skating and cross over when you shouldn't do things and he was just he's paying attention to the details and if you listen to Rendulic when he left he's like you know I didn't learn anything until I played you know in the NHL with those coaches but when I went back down to the AHL I never learned anything and it could be just a dis- one disgruntled disgruntled guy but I don't believe so I believe there was a an environment down in the AHL that wasn't about teaching it was about trying to uh, win under the head co- head head NHL coaches system, was system. Yeah, I mean there were tons of problems down there. I mean they they didn't have a training facility. You know they had to lift weights in the parking lot of the the ice rink, and you know they they fixed all that now. Um, but I, you know I I think that what's going to go down go on down in San Antonio this year is is going to be a, a whole different ball game, and I, I think. It, it's going to have the added effect of making the team better. But I really see the focus on being developing guys that can come up and, and help the team. Um, you know, which, which seems to be different than it has been in the past three years or past 20 years. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of San Antonio, um, the avalanche waved Duncan Siemens yesterday and he cleared today. Um, that, that surprised some people. Uh, did that surprise you guys? Yes and no. Um, I, you know, it all came down to whether they were going to keep eight defensemen or seven. Um, it, it didn't surprise me that he was the eighth, and it, you know, it didn't surprise me that he was the guy waived when they went down to seven. I would have preferred Tootin probably because he's been awful in the preseason, but I'm not ex- exactly sure why Tootin was so bad. So maybe he was just taking the preseason off like most older vets do. Um, but I think Duncan showed pretty well in the preseason and, and he's got stuff he can build on, uh, down in San Antonio and, you know, we'll see if they ever call him up. I hope they do. Yeah. I, yeah. I uh, I watched some of the Minnesota wild feed of him, And then I was at the, uh, the Kings game at the Pepsi center and I thought he looked, uh, I thought he looked really good. And, um, 
I mean, it could. There's a lot of veteran warm up in that evaluation because, frankly, a lot of guys look better than EJ. A lot of guys look better than even Tyson Berry. Um, those guys are working at like 80 to 85 percent instead of going 100, and uh, they don't seem real concerned uh, about their their positions, and nor should they. But and, and, Duncan looked better than Tootin to me. He looked better than uh, Bigra. He looked better than EJ. And um, if I didn't know what those guys were capable of, and even Barry, he was just uh, the one thing about Duncan, and I've watched him for a long time now. The one thing about Duncan is he's always been able to skate. He's always been able to play one on one in the corner on the puck. Uh, he's always been able to defend the front of the net. Um, he can move the puck with his feet. The one thing he's always struggled with was his puck skills, whether it was his first pass or just uh, being able to settle a puck to get it to the next person. And those things look like they've improved uh, tremendously. Uh, I, 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 I th the reason I thought Tootin might get the cut and might be let go is because he was kind of signed under the Wah um, time here. And Wah loves that shot blocking hard in the corner defenseman and he and Tootin had didn't look good through training camp didn't look good through a lot of preseason he did look pretty good last night he looked a lot better last night um so yeah i'm surprised duncan was sent down because the only way he'll get called up now is because of an injury <clears throat> and if he gets called up for an injury a lot of people are going to want to see bigra because he can clear back through waivers when that injured person gets healthy again so in my mind, that was Duncan's one and last shot. I don't think we'll ever see him with the Avalanche. The only thing I could see is if they're doing the seven defensemen just right now because they're a bunch of forward injuries and they intend to have eight defensemen later. But, I mean, that you know, it's a wild shot in the dark. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and Siemens hasn't been reassigned yet. He is still listed on the roster on the website and stuff. But I mean, it's they're taking the day off after Frozen Fury. They've got several days before they actually open the season. So um, Coach Bender said after the game last night they were going to take off to um, Sunday and uh, and go from there. So by the time, like, if you could, are listening on Monday, there's a good chance I just lied to you and Siemens has been reassigned. But as of right now, he hasn't. Yeah. Well, that. Anyone who goes down that has to clear waivers has to be on by Monday at noon. So we'll we'll know by then basically who's going to be sent down. Um, I can't see – I don't know why they'd go through the trouble of putting him through waivers if they weren't going to send him down. Exactly. I mean the only, the only thing that could happen is if someone got hurt last night. Who did they do that with last year? They put him through waivers and then he just stayed with um, the Gannon. avalanche. Yeah, it was Gannon. Yeah, that was weird. Went through waivers twice before they sent him down. Yeah, that was really strange. It was really bizarre. I don't know why they did it. I don't think they um, <laughs> But uh, speaking, of, speaking of injuries to the forwards, we've got Miko Rantanen practicing again. Um, I'm not sure how far off he is from actually being game ready. Where do you think he starts? Does he stay with the, with the Avalanche? I mean, I, I think if he's basically ready to go and he's practicing well this week with the team i i think they'll keep him up if he's not in that first game at home i think they do send him down because they're going to be on the road for a while and you know he's not going to have anyone to practice with so he may as well go down to san antonio and get back into game shape 
But I, right. I don't think the, the, they're going to send him down weeks. for skill reasons or whatever. Like, I mean, the only reason they'd send him down is to to get him into game shape. Yeah, and I think he's in. I mean, it, <clears throat> this isn't like halfway through the season where he was out for um, for four weeks. He's just coming right off of his uh, all that training he did, did in the summer. I think he'll be fine. Um, by all accounts, he looked good in the skills practice yesterday. I don't think he took any contact yesterday. Not yesterday. Yeah, yesterday they practiced in the morning before they flew out, which was another strange thing. Avalanche have never gone to Frozen Fury without doing an overnight. <clears throat> Maybe they had a bad experience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they mentioned that on at, on the uh, on the Kings feed. They said that it was a long day for Colorado, who flew in this morning, and they're going to fly out tonight. They said, I guess they don't want to give their guys the night in Vegas. Yeah, well... Starting next year, they'll all you know everyone will get at least a couple of nights in Vegas every year, so right. it's not that huge of a loss. Um, but um, but yeah, uh, what was I saying? I was saying that um, that he looked good in the practice in the morning. Yeah, I, and the Avalanche really need his pure skill on the right wing. They're they're pretty thin over there. And I think they need to know what they got in him. So I don't know. Even if he does go to, down to San Antonio, it'll be just for a heartbeat. I don't yeah. think he'll be there long. So where do we think he slots into the roster then? <sighs> I'd Top say six third, right wing to me. I'd say he'd start at the third line right wing, and and as soon as he can take over Iggy's job, he takes it. I don't think it'll take him long to demonstrate that. <clears throat> no. Hopefully. Because at, at this point in his career, again, his main role it needs to kind of be like power play specialist. Because he just doesn't keep up uh, speed-wise with 5v5 play like he could, like he used to. I think he'll do a lot better in the Bender system. I think just with Iggy, you know, when he looks good and he's fresh here at the beginning of the season, I don't think you just want to take advantage of that and give him, uh, you know, 18-plus minutes a night. I think you want to manage his time on ice and make sure that uh, – he's fresh towards the end of the year rather than uh, burning him out at the beginning of the year. Kind of like what they do with Boschman where Wah would play him for 25 minutes and, you know, he would just start to fade. He just got worn out. <laughs> you know, he did that with Hayda too. You know, they they seem to not look at age with their, some of their players and they play him like, like crazy at the beginning of the year and they're just, they're worn by the game 82. I don't know if there's a lot of choice there in those situations though. I mean... Now it, now at least you have a, you know some bottom players, you know if you have Jelena and Weirkoch as your your <clears throat> your fifth and sixth defenders, you can play them. I mean you you don't have to protect them the whole game. You can play them thirteen, fourteen, maybe even fifteen minutes every once in a while, so you don't burn out Bush and and you know so you don't burn out all your older guys. You have some depth options now that allow the team to to keep fresher. Right, you're not messing with Holden being played a pairing over his head. You're not being messing with Gennon being played a league over his head. You've got like actual NHL. I mean, they're still not a, the best defenseman in the league. Don't get me wrong, but they at least have NHL quality depth. Yeah, I mean, it's not like playing Holden 26 minutes a night either. I mean, that's just you can't do stuff like that, and you shouldn't get in a situation where you feel you have to play Nick Holden 26 minutes a night. But this year, you know, it's a little bit different. And even if they have to call people up from the, the AHL because of injuries, they've got guys that have a little bit of experience in, in Bigra and Ryan Stanton. 
Um, you've, you've got Siemens and Lindholm, which are, who are promising. So it, it's, you know, you're not locked into this playing, overplaying people just because you're scared of the consequences of not. Yeah, if I was an Avalanche fan, I'd be really excited about the future of the Avalanche defenseman right now. I don't know if we've had this kind of depth um, since their championship year. They don't have the same, you know, top-end talent, but the depth that this team has on defense is, uh, and what they have coming up with Malosh and Boykov and Lindholm and, the, you know, the, the what they've uh, done, and it's taken a long time. It's taken much longer than it should have. But what they've, where they're at right now, they should be in a real, real comfortable position. Yeah, I was looking at the Rampage's projected defense today. I mean, you know, you're going to have Bigra and Stanton and Siemens and Lindholm in your top four. I mean, I, I can't even imagine a Rampage team or, or a Monsters team with a, a defensive front four like that. And then you've wow, got. Wow, so that's Boykov and Geertsen as your bottom? Yeah, when Mason gets healthy, he'll, he'll be down there. It'll be Boykov and, and maybe Justin Hamanick to start out. But still, I mean, that's, you know. We've always had a lot of offensive guys that cannot play defense, and it's just you know it doesn't it doesn't work well down there. So now we've got four real defensemen that can play defense. Maybe they're not all offensively gifted, but there's enough talent now in the forwards that it's not going to make a huge difference. So. Um... I'm going to turn a little bit more heavily to you now, Dario, since you were the one who's actually local of the three of us. Sure. Um, I know you were able to spend time at camp, um, so I was hoping you could give us a little picture of uh, what differences we've seen in camp this year as opposed to the uh, Patrick Wall run training camps. Like, how are how are things run differently? How are the – like, we've already alluded to the, the way that the – AHL guys are handled differently, but like, what kind of differences in philosophies are we seeing? Sure. Um, Bednar is a lot different than Wah, um, uh, in many different respects, because Wah was kind of unique with a lot of the stuff, obviously. Uh, <clears throat> Bednar carries a whistle around his neck, and he's, uh, he doesn't, uh, you know, Wah always had this ear-piercing you know, mouth whistle. He just used to put his tongue between his teeth and he would whistle for line changes or he'd whistle, you know, for drills and he'd whistle to get guys' attention. And, um, it was, uh, this had this Pavlov effect on guys that just, it seemed like tension inducing whistle. <laughs> it was just so irritating. I can't even begin to describe it, but, um, he, uh, when, Bednar is a really patient coach on the ice. He, they started doing really basic drills. I mean, drills you would see at game 55 in an NHL season where guys are just warming up kind of stuff. And uh, he would see stuff he liked. He would see stuff he didn't like. And he really wouldn't comment to individual players. He would just uh, run the next drill. Um, if the group as a whole wasn't working hard enough or being crisp enough, he would stop everything and he would talk to the entire group, which was a theme. And I was talking to people sitting next to me because when an individual would really mess up, um, he 
wouldn't go talk to that guy face to face and make it a private conversation while everyone else was kind of standing around. He would address the entire class, so to speak. He would say, hey, we need to front the guy here at the net. We need to you know, not be here. We need to be here. And he would take a lesson that he was going to give an individual and he would address the whole group. Um, to contrast that with Wa, Wa was very, uh, he would grab like two or three guys and he would, he would, I want to say yell, but he, he, he had a very loud voice. He, he, was, he would address those guys and say it loud enough so people around them could hear what he was telling those guys. So he has a different approach when it comes to one-on-one -on -one teaching. Um, and um, <clears throat> he, uh, he ran a fast-paced practice, um, but he didn't bark at guys. Um, you could hear his voice in the rank pretty easily, but uh, Wah was a barker. It, it, uh, I didn't realize until I saw the Bednar coaching guys come in that there was a lot of um, a lot calmer on the ice, um, a lot more uh, professional and businesslike about what he wanted people to do. Um, and then the other thing, the big thing I noticed was Nolan Pratt. Um, he's he's like a hundred. He's just totally different than Farish who was kind of interesting to watch. Ferris looked like a third wheel. He was retrieving pucks. He wasn't teaching. He wasn't talking to individual players. Um, he's in a bit of an awkward position, I'm sure. But uh, Nolan Pratt was um, being very detail-oriented with defensemen, uh, breaking out with them, talking to them about technique, about um, not only the process, but just uh, technique with the stick, body positions, uh, very basic stuff. And, um, and uh, yeah, it, the, the whole uh, atmosphere was different, but the biggest contrast I saw was just how Bednar addressed individuals uh, rather than the entire team. Or, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, he addressed the entire team instead of just individuals. And um, he's, I think that's part of his holding everybody accountable rather than uh, singling out individuals. And I think those individuals know when they screwed up who they were but they got to save face in front of all their teammates because they weren't, they weren't uh, singled out when it came down to the coach addressing some of the problems that were happening in that practice. Yeah, that's an important distinction because no one wants to be made an example of. Well, especially when you're, you're low 20s. Uh, and no offense to anyone who's listening in your low 20s, but you know, and especially when you're a young pro athlete and you're ultra confident, and, you know, some people don't take that kind of criticism really well. And some people do, um, but when you can address a whole team, um, it allows people to save face, and they just and they know they need to work harder. I think that's a smart approach. It's a very mature uh, coaching approach by Bednar. Okay. Is it Bednar or ben Bednar? I think it's Bednar. I just say Bender. Bender. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm very well aware that that's wrong. I just it's a strange name to pronounce, and I'd much rather imagine. Our, our coach telling the refs to bite his shiny metal ass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Dario, we, I, I know this isn't something that um, anyone that's not on the team would see, but we've heard a lot about their video sessions and teaching uh, off the ice, preparation off the ice. Uh, you know, it, did that manifest itself in any way that you could see just watching practice? You know, could you tell they were more prepared with oh yeah, the very first day of just uh, 
rookie camp, and we saw it displayed again with uh, the two days of training camp, is the guys, they must, it, it's kind of like uh, in football terms where Shanahan used to drop the first 15 offensive plays for the Broncos. These guys must have drawn up their first five drills in uh, the locker room prior to even stepping out on the ice because uh, Wah would usually go to the whiteboard, drop a drill, everyone would break out, go to their corners, and then they would start. Okay, And they would lose a good 10 minutes doing that. And then for each drill, they would draw it up on the whiteboard, go to their corners, and start the drill. Here, everyone went to where they were supposed to go, and then they started running the drills. The other thing that they didn't do in Bednar's uh, system is they didn't do they didn't uh, skate mountains during uh, pro camp. Um, it wasn't they weren't testing guys to see if they were in shape. I think they just assumed that they were. Um, so uh, the CBA I think has very strict limitations on how much ice time you can have. I think they're only allowed to be uh, have an hour and a half of uh, coaches on ice. Uh, during training camp. So those 10-minute breakouts for whiteboard material and drawing up the, the, the drills, just saving those just gave them more time to teach and more time to skate. So that was a big difference I noticed, if I could notice anything from coming from the back locker rooms out onto the ice. So what are maybe some some ways that they're doing uh, specific things differently that we're starting to notice. We've already mentioned that the breakout is different. Um, do, you, do you see Bender and his staff like t teaching the way that he wants the game to be played in a certain way? Like, like Are they spending a lot of time working on the breakout? I know you mentioned that they've been working the crap out of the power play. Like, What are we seeing in terms of game prep? Uh, well, the one thing I noticed right away is the... Um, you would think that... It, <laughs> It goes against uh, a quick, accurate moving the puck out of your own zone and gaining possession. But they would do this. Uh, they would do this drill where they they dump the puck into a corner. Uh, their defenseman would go to retrieve it, and instead of immediately moving the puck, they would actually uh, pin it against the board like that, a four checker on them, and they would wait for support. And that was a drill they did over and over and over again. And it allowed all five players to support. Um, so not only was getting to the puck first important to the coaching staff, but it was important that that person who gained possession of the puck wait for support to arrive rather than being a hero and trying to go one-on-one, -on -one, beat them, and have everybody either still coming into the zone and having to hit the brakes and reverse. But um, they they actually put a pregnant pause into the puck retrieval in the corner in the D zone, make sure everybody's you know there to support you, and then let's begin the process of breaking this puck out, which I thought was was really interesting to me. And then watching the preseason games, you can see that their forecheck is super aggressive. They have all three forwards in the offensive zone, and they are not giving anyone any time to breathe. That's probably got, that's got to be one of the hardest things to teach is, is patience or, or putting in that pregnant pause. Uh, you would think so because the very first instinct for, especially the guys returning, um, uh, was to, uh, grab that puck and start circling out behind the net. And they're like, no, just pin it there, wait for your support, then make your move. And um, you, and they do a lot of um, 
you see on their behind-the-net breakouts, they're doing a lot of reversals and that blind pass behind the back. And Tyson Berry kind of uh, brain-farted on a few of those last night. Um, so they're still getting there, but it's a really interesting D-zone breakout that they're working on. It's very structured. It's very cool. And some of that might also be trying to break out the old bad habit of, you know, hey, look, we touched the puck in the defensive zone. Get it out of here. Now. Punt. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I saw uh, Eric Johnson try to make a few stretch passes last night that ended up not working, and um, I'm sure they'll look at that on film today, but they want the defensemen to make, like, five-foot passes or move it with their feet. I mean, they want really short passes, which just makes, you know, uh, makes every defenseman, regardless of their skill level, look better. Even So I think it'll be good. Yeah, I think that's... That's a lot of what helped Duncan out because that you know, like we've all seen, his puck skills aren't the best. So, you know, if he has to make a five foot pass rather than a fifty foot pass, he's going to look a lot better. And I think anyone's like that. And I think in the at the NHL level, especially, um, that five foot pass is just as dangerous as a twenty foot pass. In fact, it may be even more dangerous. Um, well, how do you defend it? You know. Yeah, when you're a defender and. Say it's just two on one, and you're coming in your own zone, uh, or actually it's two on two. Let's say you have two, uh, um, you have two forwards, and you're two D, and you're back, back skating. They're coming at you. The, them, as a defenseman, when that when that forward makes a twenty foot pass the other side of the ice, that's an easy, a mental process for me as a defenseman because I know my assignment is off. It's my other my partner gets that job. Now, if it's a five-foot pass, I, I'm not sure if that guy's crossing over to my side. Is that still my assignment? It, it, it's a lot harder to diagnose when my assignment switch-off occurred. So the short passes, and you've seen Pittsburgh did that with their breakout all during their cup run. Those short passes can play havoc with defensive assignments, and, and it's a really smart way to play in the modern, modern NHL. Yeah, I think and plus. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Plus, you know, the, the guys now, their skill level, if you saucer a pass three feet in the air and you do it at 50 miles an hour, those guys just stick their sticks out and they knock the puck down. They're incredible. They couldn't do that 15 years ago unless they were really high elite level players. Everybody does it now. Yeah, I think the, the short passes are one thing that Minnesota used to just totally kill the abs with because – it put that indecision like you were talking about with the defenseman, like, gee, should I, you know, should I be aggressive here? Should I go for the puck? Should I go for the man? Is this my partner's man? I mean, I, I think that's something that used to give the abs fits. And, <clears throat> you know, now we can do it to other people. Yeah, especially when they were playing that man-on-man hybrid and, you know, they would get crossed up, they start running into each other. Yeah, the Wild used to just completely own the avalanche. Uh, with that system. Thank God those days are done. <laughs> so these are overall a lot of changes that we're all pretty positive on, right? I know I am. Yeah, I, I'm really positive. Uh, I'm trying to temper my enthusiasm because it's still early. Um, and, you know, Wah and his system looked fresh, new, and great when he first got here. Um, you know, so... It's a long NHL season. The Avs are going to go through injury. They're going to go through uh, winning streaks and losing streaks. They're on a big preseason win streak, which means nothing right now. Um, so, what? 
<laughs> I want to see how Bedner. Wait a minute. <laughs> I want to see how Bedner and this team does when they play from behind. We haven't seen a lot of that. We haven't seen them try to recover from a bad loss. We haven't seen them try to recover from bad goaltending. So there's still a lot of unknowns with the team. But what I've seen so far is uh, truly uh, great stuff. I'm I'm I'm. I'm very optimistic, but I've been optimistic in the past and been burned, so I'm trying to temper my enthusiasm. Well, and also, from what I saw in Lake Erie last year, Bedner's system is not anywhere close to being fully installed yet. Uh, they really evolved as a team over the course of the year. So, I, I mean, I think he has a lot of tricks left up his sleeve. And, th and that's good to... That, that, that's really good to see because I think Patrick kind of ran out of tricks early in his career. Uh, maybe, maybe even the first year he was in Colorado, I think maybe halfway through the year, he started to you know, sort of have more questions than answers. And I, I just don't see that happening with Bednar yet. Well, one thing I know from um, Waz area coach, and he did his pre-scout stuff pretty well he would come up with a game plan for how he wanted to play a team but if anything went sideways in the middle of a game his adjustments period to period were they just didn't exist they played one way and they played it the entire game they played their pk one way and they played that pk the way this entire game power play he only made adjustments when they could practice on off days yeah um, that, worked, that worked great the first year when they would score two goals in the first period and then carry the lead and sit on it until the end of the game yeah, they, 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 were, they, they had a lot of puck luck in that first year. The one thing I've already noticed with Bednar, even in just preseason, is I think they were starting to get completely run out of the building against uh, Minnesota in the first period. Um, and they were getting outshot at almost a two-to-one pace. And then uh, they went in uh, to intermission in the second period, and they came out, and they started to turn the tables, and they started to get their shot totals up. And they, and they, I'm assuming they made adjustments, and that not that the wild decided to do something totally different and just couldn't shoot on shoot the puck anymore. Um, and I've seen that in a few looking at their, the shot analytics and the shot attempts, looking at how they're trending. If they get, if they get in the hole, this team so far is capable of churning the tables. And I'm assuming, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm assuming that the coaching is making some, um, some sort of adjustments between periods or even during periods to try to, uh, change those trends yeah and i really speaking i go ahead i, I really wonder um you know I, I you know i think it's totally possible he's just saying like hey you know if you do this you know just a little differently that that might help out but i, I also wonder you know maybe they're using more you know outside sources um you know maybe the the video coach from up above is noticing things and getting information to the staff uh, at intermission and, and helping to change things. You know, I, I think using resources like that is something Patrick didn't do that well. And that's, that's one reason he wasn't great at making changes inside the game. So um, as we, as we start to turn our attention to the regular season and what we're looking for, what we're expecting, what we're hoping for, I think it's going to be important to, um, remember that the Avalanche possession numbers, their shot numbers last year were like historically bad. So if they even come at the end of the year at 47 or 48%, that is a gargantuan improvement yeah. from where they were at before. 
it's a little bit, uh, I don't want to say foolish, but foolish to expect them to turn it around from 43% to being positive in a single season. There's a lot of bad habits to break. There's still a lot of, uh, maybe not the right players for the new coach's system. There's going to be some, you know, still some growing pains here and they're going to get outshot probably more often than they don't. Hopefully it's we're looking for incremental improvement. We're looking for better than tire fire. We're looking for merely, you know, you know, perspectable would be a good improvement. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I, I would be really excited as an Avalanche fan if uh, Varlamov faced less than 28 shots per game. I would be re especially with some of these shots that we're seeing that um, uh, are, are from the outside. If he has nights like those, he's going to be in, and he stays healthy, um, this could be a real special season for him. Yeah, I think it was very telling that he also said that with this new system that his his own guys aren't screening him all the time, and that makes it easy. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, that is so sad. <laughs> that's interesting. That is a thing. That is, that's a thing. Yeah. Okay. He said that? Basically, yeah. Oh gosh. He says you can see the, the puck a lot easier because guys aren't trying to block it. They're you know they're blocking shots like anyone else blocks shots. I mean Pittsburgh blocked lots of shots, but they're not doing it in deleterious ways that make his job harder. Well hey, maybe he won't be giving up the eighty or ninety footers anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Incredible save, incredible save. What a save. What? That one? How? That was what we call the Jonas Gustafsson effect, and I hope we don't see it anymore. So, um, we start to approach uh, kind of the end of the show today. I want to turn to the, the regular season and um, make some predictions on points. I want to look at Real briefly, kind of where the Avalanche fit within the rest of their division. Do we think that this is going to be a playoff team this year? Um, how are we feeling on who wins the division? You want to go first, Earl? Oh, okay. Um, you know, I, I'm an eternal optimist. I, I think they'll they'll make the playoffs. I think they'll be one of the, the wild card teams or maybe even third in the division. As far as who wins it, I couldn't tell you. It's just it, it seems like every team has such flaws and such strengths that it's hard to handicap. You know how much of each they're going to have in a given year. Uh, I don't think it's going to be St. Louis. I don't know. I'll, I'll say Dallas wins the division. Okay. Yeah. I would very much like to say that Nashville would win the division, but I have no faith in Pecorino. Nope. <laughs> I think that forward and defenseman, they may be the best team in the division, but they still need to stop the shots that they do give up. So, I really think that one and, one and two in the division is wide open between Nashville, Chicago, St. Louis, um... And then I, the avalanche cap is probably three for me, but I, I would more expecting to be in the four to six range. 
You don't like Dallas? I think Dallas could be anywhere from 1 to 7. I have no idea what to expect from them. Yeah. Because they are such a scoring-heavy team that they could win 7 to nothing one night and then lose 7 to nothing the next. Yeah. But that's fun. So that's why I root for them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think um, I think the Habs are going to be in um, a slightly better position than they were last year. I think they'll be in that 90 to 95 point range, and depending on how well the West does this year, that either puts them in or out of the playoffs. It's hard to as a wild card. I think that uh, there's always a surprise every year, and I think um, either the the Blues or the Wild are going to be the team that tanks more than people think. Uh, I tend to believe it might be the Blues more than the Wild. Um, but they got Yak. <laughs> I, and that, oh, God damn it. strengthens my position. <laughs> I, um, I think they're still playing games with Shattenkirk, which really fascinates me. So, uh, you know, how he responds and how he plays prior to the trade deadline is going to be interesting. Um, I think that... Uh, uh, Don't forget they have two head coaches this year, too. Yeah, which is such a weird dynamic. Um, usually Hitchcock, this is the year he burns out his entire team and they kind of shut him out. Year three and four. Like, this is what, year four? Um, or maybe this is even year five. Uh, so I would expect this is when he would uh, get axed anyway. But now they have this new dynamic yow in the background, so I'm not sure how that's all going to work. Um, I think Nashville will be good. Uh, I'm a little concerned about Nashville's scoring depth. I mean, Forsberg and um, uh, Neal are really good, um, but from there, their you know their 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 offense is really predicated upon how well their defense is playing. And of course, they have PK and they have Josie now or Yossi, and that drives a lot of their offense. Um, but of course, their their goaltending is still uh, shaky. And without Mitch Korn there to help prop up uh, Peke, I don't know if they might be in a lot of trouble. And Dallas can kind of outscore their bad goaltending. I don't think that Nashville can necessarily outscore bad goaltending. No. So they're going to be surprises this year. That's the great thing about playing a season is you just never know. Preseason predictions are never correct. Um, but I think the Avalanche could be a lot more competitive. I think people are really um, excited about Winnipeg, but I have a feeling Winnipeg's just going to fall again. They'll be right back to where they were. Um, and so it's going to be a battle, once again, between the Avalanche, the Wild, and I think one other team that could be like a St. Louis um, right there at the wild card race. I think Chicago will probably win the division again. I think they're going to be way up there. Yeah, Patrick Laine's impact on the Winnipeg Jets will, will – it'll exist, but I think people are giving it a lot more weight than they probably should. Um, but I, I'm kind of – with you on the points range, I'm a little bit on the lower end of the points range. If I had to pick a number, I would pick 91. Which puts them kind of in that area where you're kind of hoping the Pacific sucks again to get in playoffs. Which they could. You don't know. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think the Coyotes are going to be as good as people say. No. Um, or Calgary. Yeah, yeah. Or Cal well, Calgary might be a little bit better because there's just no way they could. I mean, well, maybe they could be worse, but um, yeah, Vancouver's going to be horrible. Yep. I don't think Edmonton's going to all of a sudden be a playoff team like people are saying either. So, yeah. No way. 
what's Randy going to do to the Ducks? He's going to depress offense, that's for sure. That's one of the most interesting storylines this year is what's going to happen in Anaheim and, for that matter, what's going to happen in Minnesota with those two coaching changes. Well, I mean, you take the Ducks, they've got two guys that they really kind of need that aren't signed as of right now. Uh, They have a new coach that was an abject failure in his last job. I mean, they, they could really plummet. I mean, they started out horrible last year. That could be the whole year for them. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. That's going to be really interesting. If they went into a dive like they did those first 10 games last year, I don't know if Carlisle has the the capability of pulling them out. Maybe Dave Farish could be their new head coach. <laughs> oh, I have no doubt. I think Carlisle already has three assistant coaches and if he didn't have three i'm almost sure farish would have already jumped ship who'd pre-scout our games yeah the guys who are already (laughs) doing it (laughs) the guy who did it last year (laughs) so we're all pretty much in agreement then that winnipeg will be towards the bottom that um I don't know. They Colorado will be kind of in the middle. There's a rumor then, that Pavlik's going on waivers. Really? Yeah. Wow. There's a rumor they might put Pavlik on waivers tomorrow. Well, but still, we'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, that's not 20 points worth of yowza. It's not 20 points worth, but it might be 10. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I still think Winnipeg's at the bottom. I think you guys both agreed. I think Colorado are in the middle, and probably so are Minnesota, just like always. And everything else is, yeah. Because I wouldn't be surprised to see Chicago take that dip this year. Who knows? I, I think again, the reason that the Central is considered such a tough division is because there is such a, a diversity of skills and strengths and weaknesses, and it's just. It's, it's tough to handicap. Every team is tough to play for various reasons. And a lot of teams don't match up well with each other the way you'd think. So to win in the, in the Central, you really have to have the ability to beat lots of different kinds of teams in different ways. So I, I think that's where the reputation comes from, is, is you're very well-rounded if you can win the Central. And I think we're going to see that again this year an interesting point so um we are finally ready to talk about games that matter colorado we're done with the preseason um the season opens on october 12th but we don't see any avalanche action until saturday which is opening night at home against the dallas stars seven o'clock mountain it's it'll even be on altitude it'll even be on fox sports southwest if you are uh me and therefore going to be blacked out of Game Center. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, and that's that's the only game that they have between uh, in the next coming weeks. So we've seen Dallas in fake games twice this year. Um, and now that it counts, do we think that, that Simeon Varlamov will continue to own them? Uh, what do we think of Dallas's offseason? Um, which, unfortunately, to remind people who may not have heard that one, included the loss of Valerie Nachushkin to Seska of the KHL. And uh, just some 
interesting transactions here and there. Do you think they're better than last year? Like for Saturday night or for the season? Well, Saturday night's part of the season, eh? Well, I'm just wondering if, if, if they're going to be totally healthy. Um, you know, if, if Ben and Sagan aren't playing or if one of them isn't playing or whatever, I mean, it, you know, that, that improves our chances. Um, you know, we always beat them. I think we're going to win on Saturday, no problem. Yeah, I, uh, Dallas is curious. I mean, they got Jemmy Ben and Sagan, and those guys are just out of this world. They're really incredible. But their depth last year that really kind of got them past their bad goaltending was uh, Spezza and Sharper is just as good as ever. And Oduya hung on. He had a great year. It's just when does age catch up with uh, those guys? Yeah. And it catches up with everyone. I mean, Father Time is undefeated. I don't care. Yager's the only one who, like, drinks virgin blood or whatever he does to keep playing at the level he does. But eventually, whether you're a Ginla, Sackick, Forsberg, it doesn't matter who you are. It always catches up to you. And I'm just curious when that depth in Dallas with uh, Spezza and Sharp and Oduya can kind of bites them a little bit. Um so, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see. I don't think it'll affect them at the beginning of the year, but as the year goes on, it should be interesting to see how those guys hold up. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a theory on Yager. I mean, he's famous for, for two things physically, one being the mullet and the other being his world-class hockey butt. Um, I think that there might be a car battery in that hockey butt, and that powers him. Oh, okay. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Might be a Prius battery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, predicting one game is always fun as hell. You think we're going to win? I will be happy to believe you. Um, I expect the typical Stars killers to come out and uh, and do their thing. You know, a couple of points from Matt Duchesne. Big night from Varlamov. Maybe something from again, though. What do you say, Earl? I think so. I mean, I, I could see six to three, no problem. That's a good score for us against them. GG, easy. <laughs> <laughs> if we put six six goals on their goaltender in game one, actually, does Dallas play earlier in the week? Or that's their opening night, too? I'll tell you. If it's six goals, it's probably on both of them. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> Dallas opens Thursday at home against the Anaheim Ducks. So they have one day of rest, and then they come here to altitude. Yeah, yep. if they're if their goalies let in six goals, they're they're gonna have a lot of concerns in Dallas. A lot of concerns, and they don't have any easy way out. And I don't know if it's you know if it was just preseason or whatever, but you know they're they're really famous for good shot metrics and I haven't seen that out of them against us in the preseason and I definitely didn't see it out of their farm team in the in a bit if they're not going to be the high-flying stars anymore well I don't think they are without Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan I don't think either of those two played in the preseason did they no and I'm not okay. sure I mean I still don't know if they're going to play on Saturday Right. Yeah. I mean, without those two players, the Dallas Stars are a bad team. They're not just a mediocre team. I think they might be a bad team. And Spez is good, but he's old. Uh, Sharp is good, but he's old. Um, they, they got, what, Klingberger, where he's 
came out of nowhere last year. He's should be interesting to see how he does in his sophomore campaign. All right, well, before we go, I'd like to mention um, on the air, we've talked about this before the show, I want to mention how silly the Avalanche season begins. We have the home opener versus Dallas on the 15th, and they don't play at home again until the 28th. We have a road trip through Pittsburgh, Washington, Tampa, and Florida next week, and then five days off. So five games in eight days, and then a week to figure out what went wrong. <coughs> I kind of like that. It's like, I do too. You got to go five games without thinking, really, and then you have a nice long time to recapitulate. I think that suits a new coach with a new system very well. Yeah, yeah. McNabb's gonna love that. He he loves talking about the early season road trip. Prepare to oh, have yeah. your ears bleed on altitude. He's gonna talk about it over and over and over again about how they're bonding. And I'm sure oh, it's important, anyway. but it's, he's just going to love talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> and just because there'll be a video of the game in the background, I'll, I'll still love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Jeez. Irrelevant bullshit hour has to be stopped. It is the worst part of Altitude. <laughs> well, there's a game going on, but let's talk about uh, the 70s and, and what you did with, with your time in Boston. Well, I wasn't very good. <laughs> I was terrible. He scores. I was only a point per game player for nine years. <laughs> so anyway, um, so one game to predict, and that's unanimous wins across the board. So I'm looking forward to the uh, the uh, inevitable blowout the other direction, because we can't all be right, <laughs> but we can easily all be wrong. What if I, and, uh, I give you a book it? <laughs> there. <laughs> I kind of want to leave Book It in the war era, personally. It's a new probabilistic future. We're out of the uh, certainties of the past, which did not work out for us. Um, so thanks to you guys for joining me today. Thanks to, uh, to Dario for jumping on. Uh, it's good to have you back on with uh, well, that you're able to see at practice and stuff. And It's my pleasure. Camp. Thanks for the invite. And uh, thanks to you, of course, for, for listening and making it this long. You can catch the podcast on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash podcast. You can catch it on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash podcast. It's on iTunes. It's on your favorite RSS feed that catches podcasts on your phone, laptop, computer, dog. I don't know. Everything has got smart internet in it now these days. Um, you can always catch the latest abs news and updates at milehighhockey.com. You can catch us on Twitter at twitter.com slash milehighhockey on Facebook, which is also slash milehighhockey. And, uh, you know, the podcast will be back on a pretty regular basis now that we've got the season. Hopefully next week we will see you guys then. Take care. Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's like your slow twisting fall on skis or a snowboard or something. Yeah, it was, uh, it was him just. <laughs> yeah, we're going to re relate skiing injuries to a flatlander. That'll explain it. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where he refused to fall down, so he kept trying to catch himself, and a lot of really good NHL players never want to go down to the ice yeah. and fall down to their knees, mm -hmm. and he just tried to kept. If he had just gone down to his shin pads and, 